Don't worry, folks. There's still time to pick a college champion and get the best odds in the country. Do some prop swapping with us. Go to PropSwap.com, where America buys and sells sports bets. And we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, very fittingly, as we await the, I guess, uh, the left side of the bracket tonight over at Lucas Oil Stadium to get to the Final Four here in Indy. It's also the start of um, Major League Baseball season this week, and a fellow Reds fan is actually in studio with me today. Um, Chris Presley feeling a little bit under the weather, so we had to go to the bullpen in a very emergency situation. But Eddie Garrison, like I'm trying to think of a great Reds closer, like Danny Graves, or I guess a Roldis Chapman would probably be fitting. But um, Eddie Garrison is going to be producing this edition of Kevin's Corner. Eddie, I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. It'll be fun. Uh, we'll get into what about two and a half weeks into free agency. We'll talk a little bit of that. T.Y. Hilton uh, made some news with Pat McAfee late last week as well. As we await to hear from T.Y. officially. And re-signing with the Colts, we'll get into those topics. And then, as always, Twitter questions. Really, when we come back in April, folks, we're going to hit the draft hard. I know you guys have been wanting it. We are less than a month away from the NFL draft, which is pretty remarkable. But April 29th is the start of that. We should tease a beers with Bowen, folks. Um, I believe that turned into let's take a shot of Buffalo Trace last time we did it. So, Chris Presley, I don't know. Maybe he's under the weather. Maybe he's feeling side effects from a tattoo that he was supposed to be getting because the Buffalo Bills beat the Colts. But we'll figure that out. But, yeah, we'll have a Beers with Bowen the night before the draft, April 28th. That's at 8 p.m. Stay tuned for some more details. Hopefully some prizes we'll give away. Uh, But, yeah, mark your calendars there. It'll be virtual, as always, on YouTube. And then hopefully when we get – Really, back into the start of the regular season, we can do that in person again. I know it's been something that I've missed and would love for you guys to be able to come out and we all meet at a little downtown establishment and throw back a couple cold ones and talk a little Colts football. So that's the lineup for today. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much covers everything. Uh, we have the emergency podcast for T.Y. Hilton last week. That came very fittingly just a few hours after Chris and I recorded, which I think we told you that on the podcast. Just uh, frustrated me, but whatever. Um, Let's start here, Eddie. We're about two weeks into free agency. Your thoughts so far on what the Colts have done. Did you expect a little bit more action, kind of status quo for Chris Ballard? What are your thoughts? I thought this would be kind of how Chris Ballard operates. I mean, it's another season. He doesn't spend money. The one area I wish he did go out and spend money – um, obviously, is that defensive end or edge rush right? Big, right, right, right. Biggest need for the team, and we look at the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay won because of their edge rush at getting at mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, making him uncomfortable in the pocket, and they haven't assessed, they haven't addressed that at all. No. I guess they're relying on Bam Banigou and Kamoko Ture to develop. Yeah, boy, I'd feel, I'd sleep better at night if I weren't relying on them atop my depth chart. You know, I, I still think there is something. Inside of those two, Kamoko Turi more so than Ben Banigou, to be honest with you. Um, at times, I probably wish that Kamoko worked uh, to the level of, of, of Ben Banigou, maybe carried himself in that manner. But um, that would be my biggest disappointment as well, two weeks into it. You know, I was looking back at my free agency blueprint that I laid out on the podcast early March. And for the most part, there are a lot of kind of boxes that we that we I shouldn't say we I guess Chris Ballard has checked you know when I laid out that blueprint I had four re-signings T.Y. Hilton Marlon Mack so check check T.J. Carey was on there we'll see what happens with him still in the open market al Muhammad was also on that list now I know a lot of people have kind of made the th- that made the comparison like oh Isaac Rochelle is going to be al Muhammad I don't know. Isaac Rochelle strikes me as a little bit thicker than Alkadi Muhammad. And I asked Rochelle last week when we were talking to him, and boy, you talk about just stereotypical Notre Dame human, just great personality and, and just great head on his shoulders and all of those things. That's Isaac Rochelle. But Rochelle mentioned it of like, you know, I, I play outside on the early downs with the Chargers and kind of slid inside on third down. That's not really what what Muhammad has done. So 
Um, I, I, I do think that re-signing would still make some sense. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, how the re-signings have been pretty similar. You know, the reason that I, I, I called Xavier Rhodes the most important free agent the Colts had entering this offseason, I just didn't think he would return because I thought he'd get bigger money elsewhere, Eddie. But I honestly should have thought more along the lines of remember his value here and compare that value to predominantly the rest of the NFL, which is playing more man coverage. And by that, I mean this. His final season in Minnesota, when they had him in some more man situations, he clearly struggled, and they cut him. Well, now he comes to Indy, and they play him in a lot more zone, and he played at a much higher level. So that's where I should have, you know, kind of cross-referenced some some things there and been a little bit more, um, I guess, accurate in my gauge on his market but clearly, when you look at the contract value, boy, that seems like a steal. But, again, the Colts are projecting him in a zone, whereas other teams are going to say, oh, that's the contract value you're going to give him in zone. Well, we feel like, in man, he's not worth that to our system. Yeah, you also have to think about it from his perspective, too. I mean, how many other teams were interested in him? And out of those interested teams, if they're offering, you know, a buck, two bucks in terms of a million more, but he's playing more man, does he go do that for the money, or does he come back to Indy to Very have success? Point. Yeah where he can earn up to that million, two million extra by being a Pro Bowl player. He had the caliber last year to be a Pro Bowl. Correct. I yeah. thought he was snubbed, but yeah. that's just my my opinion on it. No, no, no. I, I think that's a really good point. Um, so I guess, you know, when I looked at the outside, the building free agent signings, I thought obviously high-end edge rusher. That hasn't been checked. Then I thought mid-level wide out, mid-level corner. To me, Rhodes kind of takes care of the mid-level corner. I, I still think T.J. Carey would be someone to bring back given his versatility in the slot and outside. But mid-level wide out to me, and I also will group in tight end here. You know, to me it's like a mid-level pass catcher maybe is how I probably should have uh, assigned that. Um, you'll Certainly T.Y. is T.Y., and we'll get into a little bit more on him here in just a second. But I still think a mid-level pass catcher. Tight end, I don't love the tight ends still out there on the market. You know, I, I kind of go towards the draft with that position. Um, so really, when you look back at that blueprint, it's very similar to what the Colts have done. It's just that high-level edge is what you're missing, and that's a big, big miss. I think another thing to look at, too, maybe depth at linebacker. Yeah, I know. People have asked about that, and, and I do want to clear up. Like, guys, Anthony Walker had a decision to make on his own. Like, Anthony Walker didn't want to come back here and, and – and, you know, really ride the bench because you don't play three linebackers that much. Yeah, I mean, th- that could be an option. I tend to think Chris Bowers is drafted well at that spot, so you just throw a sixth or seventh-round pick there and you move on. Um, I do find it interesting that of, boy, how many free agent signings have the Colts had so far? I mean, Mack, Hilton, Sam Tevy, Julian Davenport, Rochelle, Rhodes, that's six. I think that's it. That the, those six, all one-year deals. I think that's something to note as well. In different ages, you know, obviously Tevy, Davenport, Mack, much younger, Rochelle, even much younger, Rose and Hilton, a little bit older. Um, so that's something that I feel like it's a little bit of pandemic-related. It's certainly a little bit of Chris Ballard feeling like he needs to get these contracts done and and off the books before those extensions do come. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Eddie, as we sit here and the bulk of free agency is over, and I still expect the Colts to make another move or two, let me be clear. Um, I think Justin Houston, honestly, could be a re-signing at, at this point when you look at the edge group. You need instant impact from those two draft picks. And I say two because those are the you know, first, second rounders. You don't draft again to the fourth round. I know a lot of people have talked about trading back. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But, man, you you need it, you know, because right now, obviously, left tackle is up in the air. Edge rusher is very much up in the air as well. Um, you know, you could use another wide out. You could potentially use another corner. You could use a tight end. Um, so, to me, the day one impact has got to come with those couple draft picks. I also think they should address the edge rush before the draft because if they don't during the draft, then the price tag for those edge rushers may go up. Because they could hold out. It's like we know you. I know you need me. That's a good point. So you got to meet me in the middle here. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, it's a little bit of leverage for those guys if you do wait. Um, you know, it's kind of funny how all that plays out. You know, I remember to was it Dontrell Inman? Yeah, Dontrell Inman a few years ago. The Colts said, "Here's your contract. You can have it. If we draft the wideout, that contract is no longer there." Inman said, "I'll wait." They draft Paris Campbell. Inman ends up, I think, signing with the Patriots. If I'm not mistaken, or I don't know, maybe he went to Washington. I don't know. I feel like Inman somewhere where he was cut. Yeah, 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 pretty much. So um, that is kind of the uh, that's kind of the background that you get on this third, fourth wave of free agency, where there are some older veterans out there. Some of them are either like, "Oh, I'm good. I'll I'll wait till training camp. I'll find a spot where there's an injury, and now all of a sudden you really need me." Somewhere like that. Um, let's get into a little bit of the T.Y. Hilton, Pat McAfee stuff. I know you listened to that, Eddie, as well. I thought some just incredibly candid comments from Hilton and, and of course, Pat doing what he does. And, and obviously, those two have a great, great relationship. Um, clearly, the big thing that stands out to, I think, a lot of people is the fact that, boy, T.Y. Hilton was close to signing with the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, T.Y. said to Pat, that eye emoji tweet that he had last Thursday, that was not in reference to, I'm coming back to the Colts. That was in reference to, oh, shit, I think I'm going to the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was certainly um, interesting. And T.Y., I mean, just some great detail. And pretty much at noon, he told himself by 3 o'clock he wanted to sign somewhere. He's exchanging text with Chris Ballard all throughout noon on to, you know, into the 2 o'clock hour. Gets on the phone with Chris Ballard. And basically, Ballard gives him a number, and T.Y. is like, all right, that's that's the number. Um, you know, I think I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And he hangs up, and then he says very shortly thereafter, Jim Irsay <laughs> gets on the horn with them, and Jimmy from the Colts makes sure that uh, <laughs> that old T.Y. Hilton isn't coming off the side of Lucas Oil Stadium anytime soon. I thought that was the most open we've ever seen T.Y. Hilton, too, in terms yeah. of an interview. Yeah, it, it is. T.Y. doesn't say a lot. Sometimes he'll say... A lot in the short amount of time, but you know nothing to that degree. And obviously, Pat, you know, I think he felt extremely comfortable with Pat there. So, um, I have—I don't know about you, Eddie. I mean, certainly we're we're curious, like what was Chris Bauer offering? Mm-hmm. I have no issue in Jim Mercer coming in at the eleventh hour and giving Ty a sweetener, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's a one-year contract. You have all this cap space. You're not going to spend it all. It's not like the Colts are waiting for some gold prize that, oh, that guy needs $15 million a year, $20 mm-hmm. million a year. No, no, no. And again, one year. So is T.Y. worth, in, in, in a vacuum, is T.Y. Hilton worth one year, $10 million, eight guaranteed? I think his level of play is worth that six, seven, and that extra two to three is for his leadership presence for those younger yeah, wide receivers. I, I'm with you there. And honestly, I would put a million or two just from the standpoint of I sleep better slash that position has underwhelmed so much over the last seven or eight years. It almost covers my ass. And again, this is not on Chris Bauer because Ryan Grixon ha- had some mistakes in that position too. But it almost just covers my ass just in case. Mm-hmm. Like what if Paris Campbell doesn't stay healthy? What if Michael Pittman doesn't take the jump that we all expect him to take? Then it's like, all right, a little bit of a steadying force. Is T.Y. past his prime? Sure. Is he the same receiver we saw in 2016? No, he's not that same guy. But I think with this quarterback, and I said it on the emergency podcast last week, and for those that missed it, I kind of made the baseball analogy. I don't think you run him out there every five days and he gives you seven innings anymore, but I think he can come out of the bullpen and get you out of a jam. And when this team needed it the most last season, the two Houston games sandwiched around that Vegas game, T.Y. Hilton stepped up, and I, I don't think we can lose sight of that, that your biggest stretch of the season, you know, Pittman had that nice kind of November, but then he kind of tapered off a little bit, and obviously Pittman was huge in the playoff game. But to get there, to get to the postseason, T.Y. made some big plays for you. Imagine some of the numbers he would have put up, though, if he doesn't have the usual drops early in the year. Right, and I feel like that's so out of character for him. Mm-hmm. Again, I, and I've said this so often with Chris – I don't look at him and be like, that's Reggie Wayne after the ACL. I don't either. Or that's Andre Johnson where I'd love to stop watch the 40 and see what he's really running (laughs) at this point. You know, it's not that. I don't look at it and just be like, dude, 
you know, that's Greg Maddox and, and, and not, you know, whatever, Clayton Kershaw. I know Kershaw doesn't have a, a flamethrower for a fastball, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, you know, he uh, – <laughs> and, and I'm sure this probably scares some Colts fans. He said he talked to Luck, you know, during the process, and uh, he said, man, Luck's so happy he made me want to retire. <laughs> Which uh, obviously shows you where Andrew is at and obviously – those two relationships there, but Reggie Wayne, just a huge sounding board for T.Y. And I guess that's another part of this, Eddie, too, is like, as I bounce around on my chair over here, um, in this franchise, in that organization, there's been a passing of the torch at that position. And it's more of just a, you know, Marvin, even Reggie, not extremely vocal, but it's like, this is how a professional works. And... You know, Marvin's famous quote, which there aren't many famous quotes, but, you know, you know I get paid to practice and the games are for fun, or I, I don't have it exactly yeah. right, but it's something along those lines. And then I think Reggie's work ethic in that 2012 season was so critical for T.Y.'s rookie year. And now, you know, the same thing can be said for Michael Pittman and, and you know, Paris Campbell. And you saw the outcry of players on social media. I don't think this is huge, but, like, you know, I do look at it of like, okay, no Rivers, no Costanzo, maybe no Houston. I mean, Houston does the pregame huddles on the field, you know, those things that he breaks down. the. You know, T.Y. isn't crazy vocal, but I do think just having him back, there is some leadership element to it as well. And then from an on-the-field perspective, if you watch the film, I mean, he still had separation, but then after the catch is where he got even more separation. He's I don't know what he does with his body, but he's able to, like, just have this slight hesitation that, gets the defender off his feet for a split second. Next thing you know, he's got seven, eight yards after the catch. And I think that's an underrated part in his game that a lot of people don't look at because he's used to that, you know, go deep, catch the ball, go into the end zone, and not the the after-the-catch kind of guy. Yeah, I think I've told the story before, but Andrew Luck, when Frank was hired, you know, pretty much said to Frank, it it might not look like the exact, you know, point A to point B route running that you want, but just trust me, there's an innate field to T.Y., and I thought Frank had a great quote last week, and I po- I think I posted this in the story. T.Y. is as instinctive as a receiver as there is in the NFL. And I think that helps with Carson Wentz now outside of the pocket, things like that. And, you know, if you can tap into the deep ball, and, you know, T.Y. said he talked to Torrey Smith, and, you know, feels like you know, Torrey Smith obviously played with, with Carson, um, had some great things to say about him, so... Nothing on the retirement front, you know, nothing on the one-year contract front, you know, those sorts of things. We'll hopefully ask T.Y. that when he's made available. But I've got no regrets, honestly, with the one-year $10 million. If you were, And I, I think if you were going to make a substantial move of whiteout and say bye to T.Y., that needed to happen week one of free agency. Once you waited, you had to bring him back. Yeah, are you surprised with the deal Sammy Watkins got? Because I think it was around four million. Okay, I was I was gonna say was it? I, I thought it was five, but yeah, I, I think it was right around that same level. A little bit, you know. Yeah, the problem with Watkins, man, is he hasn't been healthy, and like you know, I think there's some off the field stuff just where you know he's admitted, you know, mentally, you know, things have been very taxing on him as well. Um, I was a little bit. I mean, the whole wideout market, man. I mean, Juju got a lot less than I thought he get. I mean, Kenny Galladay got a. A healthy payday the contract josh reynolds signed in tennessee he was a guy that i thought the colts should have looked at as well um yeah the wideout market in general i think a lot of teams are having the ballot philosophy of like all these guys come out in the draft mm-hmm. just draft them nowadays so i wanted to sneak that in there um lastly i think pro football talk had this before we get into twitter questions um ty the incentives on that 50 receptions he gets 250k 60 catches, another 250. 70 catches, another 250. If he gets 80 catches, then he makes the full million. Same increments with yards. So 250,000 at 600 yards, another at 700 yards, another at 800, um, another at 900. So basically, if 80 catches and 900 yards for T.Y. Hilton this year, he'll make the full 10 million. If not, just 8 million. So I'm good with it, man. This team just hasn't been able to prove themselves without him in the lineup. And I think when that's the case, you bring him back and you groom those young guys. Maybe that's another factor into the $10 million too. It's like, hey, you guys can't win without me there. It's Seriously. Not- I mean, the Katz brothers, yeah, I I, yeah, I think I misspoke. Um, it used to be Rosenhaus, the, the Katz brothers are his agent. I mean, they've got great leverage too. Like, Chris, you, you know, Chris Bauer, you want to go watch? 
the game film of what you guys look like against Baltimore this year and two I didn't play, like when he missed six games a year ago and, you know, the only one was over Jacksonville. Like that's just the reality of where this franchise has been out with that T.Y. So um, good that he's back. I think a lot of fans – I mean, the, there's some in the minority. It's like that's too much. But, again, folks, I, I don't get too hung up on the price on the one-year deals. And uh, obviously Chris Ballard was hesitant, but Jim Mercer came in and – I don't think – I didn't get the vibe listening to Hilton with McAfee that he's mad at Chris Ballard by any means. I I, I should sneak that in there. Um, I didn't get that vibe at all. You know, this is just Chris, and I think guys get it to a degree. All right, man, should we do Twitter questions? Let's go. Z-Palm asks, hey, KB, do you think Chris Ballard has constructed the team to take best player available, or are we locked into taking a offensive lineman or defensive lineman early? Yeah, Z Palm. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a betting man, you're going to take defensive end or left tackle. But really, you're you're pretty close to locked into it. But man, if the right guy's there, I'm not passing him up. And really, I I should focus on these positions: running back, no chance; defensive tackle, no chance; linebacker, no chance. And I. I guess safety. But, I mean, if a wideout's there, if a tight end's there, if a cornerback is there, I'm taking them. And we'll see what those look like at 21. You know, what's the medical red flag with Patrick? Sertan. Sertan going to do. Greg Newsome, you know, great numbers, comes to Northwestern, but he barely touched the football and going and getting the football. Um, you know, in his days there at corner. Obviously, Kyle Pitts getting to 21 seems like beyond a long shot at this point. What happens if one of those wideouts, you know, falls? So, yes, the most likely is obviously offensive tackle or edge rusher there. And I think a debate that we need to start having, Eddie, is like, we're getting to April, and it's like, what about your own options on this roster? You know, I don't love that thought process, but that might become reality. I mean, you brought up Ture and Banigou earlier. Again, neither of those guys should be three-down guys for you week one, but, like, is it a Rochelle starts at end and then Ture comes off the edge? Now, of course, the Colts, and, and I think we are we are forgetting this, the Colts are missing two defensive end starters right now. Like, al Muhammad and Justin Houston, or Autry, I guess you could throw in there, those were your starters last year at those spots. So um, you need two of them right now or, you know, some combination of a Rochelle and a Ture. And then at left tackle, you know, how real, realistic is Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith potentially moving over there? I mean, if you feel that's the case, then I think you still got to go and draft a guard or a whatever somewhat high. Maybe mm-hmm. not super, super high, but those are all things to keep in mind. John, considering the 49ers trade, we can now at least ballpark the amount of draft capital the Colts would have had to give up to get the third quarterback off the board. Knowing that, if you could go back in time, would you be willing to give up more than what the 49ers did to move up to the third overall pick, or would you rather roll the dice with the Colts' trade package for Wentz? Eddie, that was a big trade. That was a big trade. I mean, you know, it's it's a great question, John, and it obviously was the biggest argument. Well, it was probably the biggest worry of mine, I should start here, about what my thought process was. You know, I think you filled in as producing in some of the shows when I've been hosting over the past few months. I've always been a fan of trading up. Now, seeing that package, it's like, wow. You know, that's, I mean, I was thinking, could you get to seven, you know, right in that like Philly, Detroit range, mm-hmm. and maybe the third quarterback falls there. And now it's like, shit, the, these four quarterbacks might go one, one, two, three, four, which we've never had. No, and it, it's just grown over the past couple days too especially after zach wilson's pro day yeah and we'll see what happens with justin fields pro day today um you know it's it's also fascinating because we heard frank reich you know talk about like if carson Wentz wasn't available they would have likely gone down the trade path mm-hmm. in the draft for a qb what that would have looked like of course is just um you know stuff that we'll that we'll never know um you know john i i get it it's a massive, massive draft package, like huge. And the Colts draft package would have been bigger. But I also think the roster's in a good enough spot to support that rookie QB. And 
if you could then get maybe the left tackle of the future in the second round, I would have spent a little bit more to get an edge rusher in free agency. You know, obviously you're mortgaging several first round picks moving forward, and I totally get that. But I'm just still of the belief if you've got that, like, whatever, the 49ers, it sounds like Mac Jones is their guy, which, you know, is head scratching. But, like, you know, if Mac Jones helps them, whatever, get to that level, we won't even bat an eye at what that trade package looks like down the road. Um, and obviously the Colts, or now the 49ers, I should say, they're in a decent cap situation with their QB to help build around him. Now, you've got to alter your building, or at least Chris Ballard would have to alter his building, mm-hmm. I should say, if he were to, to do that um, sort of move. But I, I would say that this is... And I know I'm in the minority with this thinking. I mean, every Colt fan that, that saw that trade package, they were like, this is exactly why the Colts were never realistic to trade up, all that. Totally acknowledge that. It's also the biggest argument for trading up last year. Now, Buckner is Buckner and is a stud and deserves to be on the side of Lucas Oil and all of those things. But when you're at 13 overall, 13 overall to you know 5 for Tua, 6 for Herbert is much different than 21 overall right mm-hmm. now to whatever, three or four, or wherever you got to get to, to draft that QB. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious, Eddie, moving forward, is this going to become the norm? Or is this very unique to the quarterback class here in 2021? I think it's also amazing how teams reach for a quarterback, especially in those top five picks, rather than going with the need. Yeah, quarterback may be your need that year, but you could pass up on a guy like a Chase Young, who's an absolute stud. Right potential Hall of Famer yeah, to fill a quarterback hole that may not work out. Right. I always think back to the Breeze draft, you know, him going in the second round, and just if you have the patience or the belief that you can get that guy right now in the second round or whatever, and then you take, like you said, uh, whoever, Chase Young or is it Jamar Chase this year or whatever, that high, uh, man, it can help you out so, so much when you're not having to mortgage all of that. I think owners have become less patient, and I think owners also realize what quarterbacks can do for your franchise and for your fan base and your marketability and, you know, the bottom line and all those things. So I think we're also getting to that point of just where the NFL. But, you know, who knows? You know, next year is whatever. Um, You know, are are, are the QBs coming out next year going to have the same sort of pizzazz that this class does? Obviously, there's no Lawrence. At least it doesn't appear to be. Um, We'll see. RT Smooth, with the signing of Sam Tevy, I think that maybe, and fans may not like this, that now edge is the biggest roster need. To me, that means drafting at an edge at 21 or later first round if we trade back. Have you looked into draftable edge talent, and what are names that you like if so? I'm liking Pay, obviously, but also very much, I don't even know how to say the, these two guys' last names. They're like, they look Hawaiian. Yeah, Owe, let's go Owe and Asai. Okay, and later, maybe uh, Payton Turner. Still keep Justin Houston to specialize and mentor. Don't think he's getting the market value he seeks, but like a lot of Colts free agents, it seems. Um, all the Ballard hate for sitting on his hands, but the man gets no credit for being disciplined in his valuation of talent. Uh, have a good day, KB, and thanks for talking to your fans. You bet. Thanks for sending that in. And, Eddie, welcome to the uh, podcast questions where sometimes people can send in large paragraphs. So um, <laughs> we, we appreciate you gutting out through those questions. Um, let me be very clear, folks. Sam Tevy should not start. You know, Julian Davenport should not start. These are simply depth signings. Um, I wrote an article on the site earlier this week. And, like, Chris Bowd is doing something he didn't do last year, which is try to get more uh, more experienced bodies. <laughs> you know, that's probably the way to kind of phrase it. Um, these guys might even make a team. But if you throw Sam Tevy, Julian Davenport, and Will Holden into a hat and see what happens, and maybe you throw in a six-round pick in there, good. Like, create more competition. Last year, honestly, I thought it was pretty half-assed competition, and I think it cost you late in the season. Um as far as some of those edge rushers, I mean, Jason Oway, while, boy, the talent is just salivating, so, so raw. and Is that know, the kid from Florida? He's the Penn State kid. Okay. And at times it just looks like, you know, 
me trying to pass rush against my dad when I was, you know, seven years old in the backyard. Like, <laughs> I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, I think Justin Houston is 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 kept. I, I, I don't, you know, it's it, Justin Houston is not terrible by any means. Um, I'd like a little bit more pop there, but, you know, as far as the Ballard, give him credit, you know, sure, but I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, have you reached the point where you need to do a little extra to get over the hump when it comes to spending? You know, all the Ballard hate for sitting on his hands, but the man gets no credit for being disciplined. Yeah, I mean, he's disciplined. I mean, I we, we've acknowledged that. Jim Irsay has certainly acknowledged that publicly. That's great, but... There comes a point in time where I think you've got to tweak your building. Um, and that's where I think you get kind of the whole T.Y. Hilton one-year contract for that price, that's where you make an expectation. Is that the norm? Like, are you going to say every single free agent, here's a couple, three, four million more to tack on the deal? No, but when T.Y. Hilton's given you what he's given you over the past decade, he was healthy last season, um, it's been an underwhelming position group. I think he deserves that. So I think you can look at at that very both both sides of it. Yes, the Colts are in a really nice cap situation, which is great. But, you know, if it leads to January exits that don't get to whatever, the final four or, or further than that, um, people are going to be frustrated, and rightfully so. What do you think about Gregory Rousseau? Yeah, I know his testing numbers weren't great yesterday. You know, both those Miami pass rushers, Jalen Phillips – and Rousseau. I posted a mock draft look on the site earlier today, and I think both of them are mocked to the Colts twice. Boy, they're two just like Rousseau has the unreal 2019 season, then opts out. Uh, long Jalen Phillips, freak athlete. Rousseau opts out. Phillips slides in and has a huge season this year. He retired from football in college because of concussions in 2018. That's obviously a red flag. Mm-hmm. It's like these pass rushers, man, it, they don't make it easy for you. It's like, you know, and, and obviously a totally different scenario, but when Montez Sweat came out, he had the heart issue, you know, red flagged by uh, a lot of teams, including the Colts, and, you know, that was that was it for him. So, you know, what about Quiddy Pay out of Michigan? Um, he seems to me to be the cleanest of those prospects when you're talking edge rush, but um, I still want to do a little bit more research out there and get get all the pro day um stuff in there but um it, it's just it's a position that i think is very difficult to evaluate and obviously chris has struggled with that position but i've also said I, I don't think it's a you know that position i think is one of the more difficult positions to evaluate in today's nfl this question comes from jj after four years under ballard the colts are 32 and 32 and haven't won their division Four years into the future with Reich and Ballard still in place, which is the more likely way to describe the team? A, Super Bowl champions. B, more character guys than any other team. C, most valuable players on the roster, most valued players on the roster. Uh, and he says he votes C. What do you say? JJ is actually a she. Um, Eddie, just to just to l- l- let you know, JJ is chiming. Did I accidentally say he? Yeah. Um, Apologize, to- JJ. Totally fine. Um, JJ is uh, asked terrific questions and is not afraid to attack Chris Ballard. Um, clearly, her optimism is not through the roof here with this answer. She's going with the most valued players on the roster. Um, yeah, I-, I can't go Super Bowl just yet. You know, I, I need to see the left tackle and the edge. And, you know, frankly, I need to see Carson Wentz. I was about to say that, too, yeah. <laughs> you know, wow, he kind of matters in that scenario. You know, B and C, I, yeah, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but um, I think those are likely. You know, Eddie, maybe this is like a um, this is like a March Madness, you know, kind of thought that's crept into my head. But you look at what's happened with, whatever, Ohio State, or you look at what, what happened with Iowa or Illinois, and to me – it's about creating opportunities at the dartboard. You know, trying to just how many more chances can you get into January? Like, I, I yes, you can have this kind of one-off, two-off team, and you hope that, but like Illinois and Iowa, generational teams for both of those programs, and they bow out really early because welcome to one-and-done life. Mm-hmm. It's freaky. Stuff can happen. I mean, 
Houston very easily could have lost to Rutgers two rounds ago. And now here's Houston, and they're playing for a trip to go to the national championship game on Monday night. Um, UCLA. Right, right. UCLA certainly down whatever they were to Michigan State. And as we record this, you know they're playing tonight you know, to take on Michigan and go to the Final Four. It's just weird stuff can happen. And obviously when you look at the Colts Super Bowl team in 2006, you ask anybody from that era, and it's not one of the two or three best teams from that era. But they got hot at the right time, and they provided themselves a chance in the dance. And and they at least got one home game. Yeah, the first-round game was at home. Obviously, they got back at home for the AFC title game. Uh, but like those are the things I think you got to get into. It's like winning your division creating some home field in, in the playoffs, trying to set, your up, set yourself up in more favorable situations to where it's not at Houston and then a trip to Arrowhead like it was a couple years ago, or at Buffalo, and then if you won in Buffalo, I think you would have gone to Arrowhead again. So um, try to get yourself again in a few more favorable situations. Uh, I think that's really key, JJ. John, hey, Kevin. Ballard is making a huge number of depth sightings to the offensive line. Right now, a reserve unit consists of Pinter, Holden, Hunt, Tevy, and Davenport. I like the idea of competition for the roster, but this feels like more than an overreaction to a lack of depth this season, or last season. Do you think this is foreshadowing Ballard passing on tackle in the first round in favor of a second round or maybe even a day three tackle? This tackle class is very deep, and our left side is already forfeited by Quentin Nelson. Yeah, John, um... First, I do want to note that Joey Hunt signing. I know it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Hunt got signed earlier this week. I wrote a free agency watch on him a few months ago and pretty much mentioned, if you believe Quentin Nelson can play left tackle, remember, folks, it was Joey Hunt and not Danny Pinter that got in against the Raiders to play left guard when Nelson moved over to left tackle. So I'm not reading a ton into it, but I just think we all need to note that, like Joey Hunt was the first man off the bench, if you will, to play left guard when Nelson slid over to left tackle. Um, now, to your to your question, in no way can you wait till day three to draft. No, the Colts have waited too long in the past couple of drafts to draft a tackle. Um, maybe not at all. I mean, Jackson Barton, seventh round's the only tackle they've drafted the last um, two cycles. I mean, to your point, John, I think it's a reaction to what happened last year, and it should be a reaction. And I think a lot of it, too, is also a reaction to what happened in the Super Bowl with what Kansas City had um, and their offensive line situation. So I'm fine with with Chris handing out the type of con- – I mean, Pinter, Holden, Hunt, Tevy, Davenport. I'd be willing to guess you've got 70 – I don't know, 60, 70 starts among that quintet. A lot of them played snaps in the NFL last year, meaningful snaps in the mm-hmm. NFL last year. You couldn't say that about the depth group entering training camp last year. So I'm totally fine with what Chris Ballard has done. I also feel like as much as I am such a fan of left tackle in the draft, first or second round, you know, that's the path to find the future there, all the benefits that come with a rookie contract at left tackle who's playing good football for you. Man, Eddie, the more the closer that that we get to the draft, I'm starting to think, is Quentin Nelson or Braden Smith really in play at left tackle? But if that's the case, I don't look at Sam Tevy or Will Holden or Julian Davenport and say that's your right tackle from day one. Well, what if they move Pinter to right tackle? Didn't he, Where did he play? In- he did play there. I, 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 He did play there at Ball State. He was a tight end for two years at Ball State, and there was a right tackle for two years. And people have asked me that, so it, it it's a fair question that you bring up. They've always said interior with him. I think his body type's a little bit more in the interior. I know he's got... You know, some basketball background, but I think he's 6'4", 300. That's kind of more in the interior. So I, I, I hear people out on that, but they've been pretty steadfast. Like, they want that guy in the middle of their line. So, um, John, it's it, it, it's a fair question. But, man, if they wait till day three for a tackle, that's a big mistake. Ghost visible. If the Colts draft a wide receiver in either day one or day two, could that mean Campbell's role would be limited or possibly cut? Thanks, Kevin. Boy, I'd be shot. I'd be well. I think better chance Tiger Woods plays in the Masters next week than Paris Campbell gets cut. <laughs> and yeah. I, you guys know I want Tiger to somehow resurrect himself. Can we give him a golf cart for four days? What's the update on him, by the way? I don't think we got much, unfortunately. Well, I don't know, maybe fortunately, but I know he's back in Florida. That's about it. 
So, I mean, he's obviously not playing golf for quite some time. Um, But, you know, go again, Paris Campbell's not getting cut. Let me make that very, very clear. But, yeah, any wide-out draft of day one or day two would, would limit, you know, him, potentially Pascal. Um, I can't see them drafting a wide-out that early. I mean, we're talking first or second round. I will say this, Eddie. Does the fact that Chris Ballard wasn't willing to offer T.Y. Hilton the contract that Jim Mercer was willing to offer, does that mean in Ballard's eyes T.Y. should have a lighter role? That's a good question. Or is it, or does he just devalue the position too? That's another thing. Fair. Very fair. Um, does Frank Reich you know, mm-hmm. creep into that opinion? How much of this was Jim Mercer saying, boys, it's one year. Let's just give him a couple extra million, and even if you scale back his role, I'm fine with having him on the roster at that value. It's just it's it's interesting to think about. Of course, we won't get the answer on that until potential. I mean, if they turn around and draft a receiver in the second round, then it's like, oh wow. Do you think Ty would take a contract if they told him up front, hey, your role will be limited, considering the money left on the table from Baltimore? Another good point. Um. Yeah, I can't see T.Y. loving that. I can't see T.Y. loving that. I mean, I know he's a big fan of Indy, and I think there was some confusion on T.Y.'s comments about him turning down more money from Baltimore. Did you kind of hear that? He said, you know, I turned down, I believe it was, if I would have signed with Baltimore, I would have gotten more money the day I signed than my entire contract with the Colts. Mm-hmm. I think he's just referencing the, the one-year deal with the Colts. So basically, Baltimore, I think it was reported three years, $16 million. The Colts one year ten million. Mm-hmm. So basically how I look at it is the guarantees from Baltimore would have been whatever, twelve million of that sixteen million or so, or maybe it just would have been, I don't know, eleven million, something like mm-hmm. that. So um Yeah, I I I still think they view TY relatively highly, but that Ballard thought just I don't know, just kind of been sitting in my in my brain. Gatto asks, with T.Y. resigned, the biggest needs are edge and left tackle, which I'm assuming will be addressed throughout the draft. In this draft, what do we uh, dedicate our first pick to? I've heard some pretty good rushes uh, may fall, and while I hear the offensive lineman class is deep, I also hear there are a few day one starters. So which do the Colts need to prioritize, in your opinion? You know, Gatto, it all depends on what that board, you know, is just going to look like. You hate to cop out and go there, but, um, you know, what happens is if Rashawn Slater's there at 14 or 15, do you trade up? You know, he seems to be a guy that would check a lot of Colts boxes to me, um, but that might be a little bit, you know, too rich just from you only have six draft picks. But um, I, I can really flip a coin here, and I'm surprised I've come around on that. But the more I've looked in that edge rush, and I just think, man. It goes back to that question I had earlier, Eddie, of internally. Would you feel better at left tackle? Would you feel better if you had Quentin Nelson at left tackle and Danny Pinter at left guard? Or if you had Isaac Rochelle and Kamoko Ture as your starting edge rushers? I'm going with Nelson and Pinter over the edge rushers, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think I would disagree with that, you know. So w- w- when you when you put it in that light, which I know that's not the exact light, but you know yeah. that that's kind of where we're at right now. If you look at a depth chart, then maybe you would say edge rusher um, yeah. under that front. So you know, the whole few day one starters, I, I don't know. I feel like there's some day one starters out of this group. I mean, flat out, Eddie. Again, the Colts need two two starters. Twenty one fifty four. You trade back, whatever. You need two guys that are going to impact at some pretty important spots. This is from Chav. Do players or agents reach out to teams often? I know GMs scout and reach out for players they want, but do players do the same? For example, what if Anthony Walker thought he'd be a great fit for the Browns, but he wasn't on Andrew Barry's radar? Does this happen, and how common do you think it is? Oh, yeah. I think it's very common, without a doubt. Now, I don't know if agents are directly talking to the GMs, but they're talking to people within that pro personnel department of, hey, have you seen my guy lately? Because then that that you know third in line of the Colts, then he's like, oh, wow, I forgot about this guy. Here's some new tape on him or whatever. You know, he's he was hurt. Now he's working out, this and that. So, yeah, I mean, that, that happens 
constantly. You're, I mean, you're pitching your client to that team. Now it's probably an indicator of your client sucks or isn't, you know, <laughs> isn't, isn't a frontline guy. Um, that was obviously a little bit too harsh there, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, certainly NFL personnel departments, they know, but yeah, you're always trying to, you know, have a little pitch in there. All right, this name uh, reminds me of a commercial that airs on the fan, Big Buck Hunter. Big you, Buck Hunter? You know what? Have you heard that yeah, one? Yeah. Where we it, just hunt Big Buck. It sounds like a Saturday morning outdoors commercial, you know? <laughs> yeah. Leading into whatever, Soccer Saturday. Or Indiana Outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Indiana Outdoors. If, <laughs> this is from Big Buck Hunter. If the Colts are committed to moving left, uh, Nelson to left tackle, how does that impact your first-round draft priority? Has uh, does it have to be edge first, then starting line of Nelson, Pinter, Kelly, Glowinski, Smith? Yeah, I, I would think it'd be edge. Now, again, I would like another offensive lineman somewhat early for insurance purposes. Um, but, yeah, I would probably go with edge rusher there. I think that this idea just struck me. There's usually always that one player that falls in the draft. Always. And it's usually in that late teens, early 20s. Yeah. So the Colts could be in a great spot there if there's that one player that does fall. Yeah, think about Jordan Love last year. You know, I think a lot of people thought he'd go earlier. All of a sudden, he's on the board. Green Bay's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we yeah. we just flat out have to take him. So, I mean, and this is why we freaking love the draft, just because you never know. And with all these QBs going early, and seemingly some wideouts, does that put does that push down more defensive talent mm-hmm. for the Colts? You know, how does that impact things as well? This is from Chris. He says, you and Chris have been doing a damn good job of keeping the offseason enjoyable. Uh, Thank you for that, Chris. Appreciate that. And Eddie stepping in very, very nicely today. How do you think the fans in City would respond if Wentz comes in and snaps the opening week losing streak? I bet they go nuts. Also, Chris jinxed the TY signing during the last pod. (laughs) Oh, boy. That sounds like my brother-in-law. He's got a theme for jinxing things. Let me tell you. Believing in jinxes. Um I mean, hell, I think if you win opening week, you do a you we go a little circle, we go a little parade around the circle. Why not? You know, it's beautiful weather in September. You win week one, we might need to hang a banner inside of Lucas Oil for that. It's been so long. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this, Eddie. Um, Week one, Carson Wentz has a big day, and you've got that MVP Carson Wentz ticket. You might need to throw that up on Prop Swap. You guys, you guys heard him earlier. Prop Swap, that's uh, who's sponsoring Kevin's Corner, and they've got some very, very enticing MVP. Never too early. I've, I've looked at some baseball MVP props they've got up on the site. Also, some some NFL ones up there as well. So if you guys haven't already, Eddie and I were talking about that before the show. Prop Swap. How does that work? So basically. In simplest terms, it's eBay for prop bets. So basically, you have bet on, I don't know, the Colts and the Saints and the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. You do that at the start of the year. As the year goes on and you feel like it's a great ticket to sell, you put it up on their site. You can sell it, make some money back. You want to hold on to it till the playoffs? Hold on to it till the playoffs. You want to ride it out through the Super Bowl? You can ride it out as well. But I think it's just some opportunity to um, – hedge in a little bit of a safer, uh, more enticing manner. And, and, and you got to remember, the odds are obviously the odds you're getting at the start of the season. Like right now on their site, they've got these props for you know Houston winning it all for the national title. They got them for whatever, 30-1 to 1 at the start of the year. Now they're 5-1 to 1 to win it all, and that's obviously a great ticket. So, Chris, if you believe in this, um, that might be a route to go down yeah, I mean, if Carson Wentz, yeah, they're going to be happy. Of course, Colts fans are going to be happy. Jim Irsay is going to be happy. No one, no one um, is more pissed off about that week one losing streak than Jim Irsay. And it, want- it's, you know, Eddie, it was, where were you in 2013, Eddie? Uh, honestly, I cannot remember. I was a freshman in high school. Puts perspective how young I am. Say no more. I mean, think about that. Ryan Kelly was three years away from being a Colt the last time the Colts won as a season opener. And Ryan Kelly's now on a second contract as the highest-paid center. Three years away from being a Colt. Where were you in 2013? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was living in a Broad Ripple house that it was a miracle that we survived that house. And, boy, I was paying probably, I don't know, they should have paid us to live in that house, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, Corn Washington, Joe Ardiolo, and Brian Shelbourne, just a terrific crew. And 
Yeah, it was uh, it was a long time ago. Terrell Pryor, the opposing quarterback. Oh my! The Colts. All right. So Tanner brings up a name that we haven't discussed so far. Hey, Kev, thank you for being the go-to for my Colts content. With Wentz working with Michael Pittman Jr. and Desmond Patman, could you see one? Michael getting more opportunities for 50-50 balls down the field. Two, Patman making a serious push for some snaps in the regular season. He feels like uh, that they're creating chemistry early, and it has to be a plus for all three. Yeah, these are some good good thoughts, good questions here, Tanner. I, I think definitely with Michael Pittman. You know, we just never saw that to the extent. I know Chris Presley was banging that pretty hard. You go back, you watch um, it's the Arizona State game. Colorado game with Pittman. There are some Moss-like moments from. Honestly, he did it a little bit, not not truly, but he did it to Julian Blackman in um, against Utah on one play. You know, Desmond Patman. It's my question is just where does he get playing time? If healthy, the group, obviously Pittman, obviously Hilton, obviously Campbell, and Pascal. And Pascal just makes you feel good at night that mm-hmm. you can trust him and he's going out there. So I just think. You're still very raw with a guy like Pat, and I still think he needs some more development. When he made his you know, stuff happen last year, it was a lot of just kind of second-team stuff. And so now, I mean, you throw Patman into the category with Jacob Eason of a guy that's like, let's see this dude in the preseason. You know, see him get some more reps, mm-hmm. going against a little bit more high, high-level high players, this and that. Um, but you can't teach that frame, and that's why they drafted him. I mean, you look at his production in college, he shouldn't have been drafted where he was drafted, but you go 6'4 and 225 and run for whatever, and yeah. Sounds like Demarcus Robinson to me. Ooh. He resided the Chiefs? Yep. It was like a one-year deal, I believe. Yeah, saw that. He was a name I kind of had on the radar. This is from Alec. What position in the draft do you think is most likely to be picked based on best available outside of tackle or corner? And I'm going to add edge rush because we've talked about okay. that a lot. Okay. Well, I think Alec would be based off the most draft depth. Um, if you're going to go best player available, I, I mean, maybe wide out, dude. And I know that's not, you know, wide out in round one would certainly raise some eyebrows, but I, I would think that would be your best available. I feel like the wide receiver class is a, a little shorter than in years past, too. Like the last couple have been bigger receivers, but you've yeah. got Tony from. Florida, yeah. mm-hmm. Rondale Moore from Purdue, right. two guys that are projected in that range I mean, where the Colts Jalen Waddle, Devontae yeah. Smith, not huge guys. So, yeah, that's a really good point as well. A little bit different flavor. Yep. And uh, you got to wonder where Chris Va- uh, Chris values all those. Ballard. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit similar skill sets to Campbell. So, that's something to keep an eye on. From Matt, we don't spend money in free agency. Ballard said that he wants to build through the draft. Do you think – Next year will be a tipping point for us to pay above market for key players. Oh, Matt, haven't we had this question every year? You know, it's like, this is the year right here, right now. It's going to be different. It's never different. Um, I mean, I'll say this, Eddie, if you fall short again in the division, you fall short in January, whether that's, I don't know. I think getting the AFC title game is probably where it's like, all right, you feel good about the season you just had. If you don't alter your plan, I mean, that's just stubborn or, or stupid, to be honest with you. So um, right here, right now, Matt, <laughs> I'm not going to take that bet. Maybe I'll bet your money on it, but I'm not betting mine on it. But, uh, yeah, you fall short in the division or in January, I think you have to. You have to. How do you not? I think, think one thing we have to remember is when Chris Bauer was on with Dan Dockage, he said the window is just now opening. Correct. Yeah, correct. So um, do you spend in that window? Obviously, Carson Wentz's play, I think, impacts a little oh, yeah. bit of that as well. Hi, fellas. This is from Scotty. With the exception of Wentz, Ballard has been very quiet in free agency in terms of signing starters. Should the Colts fans be concerned that this team is worse now than at the end of last year, or should we trust Ballard's plan? Oh, they're, I mean, without a doubt, they're a worse football team right now. Now, you still have a month to build, and obviously if those draft picks come in and really impact from day one, you can help some things. Um, But, I mean, I think you just got to take it, and I was talking to Rick Venturi about this, and he agrees wholeheartedly with this thought as well. I mean, if you look at the, the, the five positions of need 
coming in the offseason. Let's start a quarterback. Kind of up in the air. You know, Carson Wentz, I think, got a high ceiling. Different things, certainly, than what uh, Phillip does. But you just don't, I mean, is he going to be the same? Is he going to give you the same sort of production that Phillip gave you last year? Who knows? I think if you were to say right now, Carson Wentz will achieve the same level of quarterback production as Phillip Rivers did last year, I think most fans will sign up for that. And then you have to account for the mobility of Wentz, too. So there's some added value and there. That is. And, and, you know, he should bring more there. Now, does that take a, now does he, do you have to take away a little bit of like the mental acumen? Like, I mean, Rivers, very, very good at that. So uh, that's where you're at quarterback. Wide out, if Paris Campbell's healthy, that should be a better position group. I'll, go, I'll 100% say that. Left tackle, clearly worse. I don't think, I don't know how you get better at left tackle, to be honest with you. Defensive end, worse. Corner, you would hope that group takes a jump just because the Rocky scenes and the Marvell Tells and the Isaiah Rogers. Again, it's a hope, though. So if you look at those five positions, wide out, as long as Campbell's healthy, it should be a better group. Corner, it's about time that group you know, t- took a step forward with, with some of the young draft capital there. Quarterback, you know, probably a coin flip. I don't know. And left tackle in the end right now, you are worse. So. Um, it's a lot of running it back, Scotty. You know, I've mentioned kind of the, the the tougher schedule. I think what you're banking on is some of your young guys on your own roster to emerge. And that's at corner. Right now it's at the end, like you've referenced before. Obviously it's Campbell staying healthy. Left tackle, who knows. And then at quarterback, can you tap into the higher ceiling? You know, the floor is a little bit lower, but can you tap into the higher ceiling? And certainly a lot of that falls on uh, Frank Reich. Colton says, would you rather start your franchise with Willis, Okariki, Buckner, Nelson, Hides, and Campbell, or Blackman, Leonard, Stewart, Smith, Taylor, Pittman? Oh, all right. Um, Throw throw those at me one more time. So he's going with, what, five or six names, kind of an either-or? Yes. So your first one, Kari Willis, Bobby Okariki, uh, DeForest Buckner, Quentin Nelson, Naheem Hines, Paris Campbell. Boy, that's okay. Okay, all right. Second one. Julian Blackman, Darius Leonard, Grover Stewart, Smith, Taylor, Pittman. Man, that's a good one. So my first thought was take the first group because they've got Nelson and Buckner. Mm-hmm. You know? But then the- you've got Campbell with the – Injuries, I know, and 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 it's like, you know, Hines isn't even a starter. You know, Willis and Okariki, they're good players, but like their positions aren't. Man, the more I think about it, that that, <laughs> that second group kind of, you know, Braden Smith, obviously great, great tackle. You know, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, boy, that's a nice duo right there. Darius Leonard speaks for himself. Man, that's a good one, Colton. Um. I'm taking roster two to start. Are you? Yeah. I think I like that second group. I do. But, man, passing on Buckner and Nelson would be hard to sleep at night. Yeah, it would. Um, also, look at when you look at them, who's got a bigger leader out of the group? You've got Darius Leonard for sure. in group two, so yeah. there's your leader. Yeah, you got an alpha right there. That's, that's for damn sure. Um, although, DeVore's Buckner, I think, can lead. He might not be as vocal, but... I'll go with that second group, and and that's shocking to me. Logan. Hey, Kevin. I love the pod. Thanks, Logan. Everywhere, or everyone keeps thinking or taking about uh, having to get dynamic quarterbacks. But after what we've seen from the last 10 years, it seems that the dominant trench play is what wins, i.e. Broncos, Seahawks, Patriots, Bucks, etc., I get having to get a great quarterback, but Chris Ballard's comments about winning up front is so true. Even average quarterbacks have gotten to a Super Bowl. Jimmy G, Jared Goff, Nick Foles, Joe Flacco, etc. What are your thoughts? You know, Logan, I would say where I would push back against that thought is just sustaining that success. Flash in the pan with those teams? Sure. But, you know, Eddie, let's look at those four quarterbacks. Jimmy G... Time's ticking in San Francisco. Jared Goff, now with the Rams. Nick Foles, now on his second team since leaving the Eagles. And Joe Flacco, I don't even know where he is. Wait, did he just sign with Philly? 
Yes. I mean, so that that's what I'm getting at, Logan. It's if you are, again, flashing the pan stuff, it can happen. But if you want to try and sustain it over a five to ten year period, you need more. The one night stands happen in the Super Bowl, folks. And I'm not just talking about fans partying after the games. <laughs> I, I'm talking about, you know, fluky quarterback can, can get on a run. But you do it twice, you do it three times. No, there's no there's no fluke in that. There's no fake in that. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Jimmy G, Jared Goff, Nick Foles, Flacco, all those guys were having career years at that time when they got to the Super Bowl. That's a good point as well. And obviously, Foles just got hot at the yeah. right time. You know, Carson did so much to get them there. But, again, Logan, to me, it's how are you trying to set yourself up for the multiple darts at the dartboard? That's what I keep on coming back to. That's where you want to get to. All right, two questions left. Uh, Creighton. Hey, so when you look at all of Chris Ballard's first four draft classes, even with his worst one being in 2017, we still got Anthony Walker, Marlon Mack, and Grover Stewart. And not to mention Malik Hooker, who I would at least consider a solid starter, didn't quite turn out to what we wanted him to be. In the three drafts since then, he has managed to get three impactful players in each draft. I don't really see how we can fault with him because no human being is going to hit on every single pick. Is it safe to say that there are four GMs we can almost guarantee he's going to be here for the next five years based off of how he's doing if he continues this trend on drafting extremely well even in the later rounds? Well, yeah, I mean, if you draft extremely well, I don't see why you you would think that's going to lead to some more tangible results in the field. I mean, that's... That's how you build. That's why I've been, you know, such a big believer in in the foundation that Chris Ballard has laid out here, which is much different than the previous era at this point. Um, but you know, having said that, Creighton, at some point, you know, the January results do supersede some stuff. And really, I would say the fault is just maybe the impactful positions like D end and corner mean a little bit more than maybe linebacker and I don't know, safety or, or something else. So I think that's where you have some fault. And I I know full well drafting is extremely difficult. So what Chris Bauer has done is pretty darn good. I don't know if I'd call 2019 super impact yet. I mean, Okariki and Willis, but, I mean, Rocky Cena, Paris Campbell, we can't call them, you know, impactful guys just yet. But, yeah, I would just say a little bit of tan- January results coupled with, obviously, like you said, the great success um, in future drafts. The final question comes from Wake Spike. Hey guys, hypothetically, if Wentz is the worst decision since Trenton Richardson, that whoa, 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 that would wait, be... wait, 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 start that over. I just heard Trent. Uh, it's been a while since I've heard Uncle Uncle Trent's name, so start that over. He says, "Hey guys, hypothetically, if Wentz is the worst decision since Trent which Richardson, oh my gosh. that would have to be uh, yeah, pretty low." Jeez, do you do you see a scenario where Reich is fired due to his over attachment to broken players, and Ballard stays in as GM, or will both be gone? You guys rock. Well, thank you for the "you guys rock" comment because I don't think anyone else wanted to hear <laughs> hear the rest of that question. Um, boy, that's quite the um, yeah, that's quite the question to end things on here, Eddie. Um, I guess going along with your hypothetical, I would say both would be fired. I, I think both are kind of tied at the hip right now. I know that's, that's kind of like a sexy, you know, phrase to use with a lot of this stuff, but yeah, I would say, gosh, I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be that bad, but um, man, that's an uplifter to end the podcast, isn't it, Eddie? Oh yeah. Do you think um, you think Easton's the backup? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I think it should be. And I actually think they're they're going with that, which um, selfishly I think it's a good move for them. So um, so yeah, we'll see uh, how that plays out the rest of the off season. So I enjoyed the pod, man. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, thanks for th- having thanks me. for stepping in. That's Eddie Garrison, everybody. For the Eddie, plug your uh, pl- plug your Twitter for, at uh, Eddie Garrison uh, underscore Eddie E D D I E Garrison G A double R I S O N. So Eddie uh, helps out. Um, just a kind of jack of all trades, producing Soccer Saturday, Pacers Weekly, Pacers Weekly, the main shows on the fan, doing a little bit of everything for Indiana us, Sports so. Talk. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> busy weekend man is is Eddie Garrison frequently and a big help today. Eddie, uh, as we record this, there are six teams remaining in March Madness. Let's give our picks. 
and know full well that we could look like idiots very, very quickly. Um, I'll let you go first. Give me a championship game and the winner of that championship game. Well, I'm going to be very chalk in mine. Gonzaga-Baylor, I just don't think anyone's playing to the level of the Baylor Bears right now. And I'm taking Baylor to wow. win. Eddie Garrison, folks. Defense wins championships, and I will stick by that. The way they're defending, they're they're hard to beat. I'll tell you what, I watched them last night, man. They got some grown men on that team. They got some dudes. I'm like, can those dudes play on Sunday? Yeah. I'm like, those guys look like they can play in the NFL. Yeah, Vital or whatever. Yeah, he looks Vital like a, and then that guard, um, 45. Holy sh- Yeah, that guy is. Is it just me or does Davion Mitchell literally Mitchell, look like uh, Mitchell with the Jazz? Like same oh, number, yeah. same frame, yeah, that's same a good point. explosive, yeah, 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 yeah. Capability. I I could see that they don't like look alike in the face by any means, but yeah, they do kind of carry themselves. Their mannerisms are kind of mm-hmm. similar and whatnot. And I'll say this though, your your Baylor Bears are going to have a rock fight on so, so Saturday night because Kelvin Sampson he can cheat, but that man can coach much more than he can cheat. And those guys play, but they didn't Ooh. shoot well. Even. They don't shoot well, but they just throw it up and they say, hopefully it hits the rim, and then we'll go find it. And, gotta, and we'll, we'll throw it up there again. If we miss it, we'll go find it. You just got to hope the first half of the Baylor Bears from their game against, oh, who did they play before? Oh, Nova. Yeah, they just, they, yeah. you got to hope that you get that half of Baylor and not right. the first half against Arkansas. I will take the Zags over the Bears in what I hope is a great championship game. I will say this to your point, Eddie. We forget how good Baylor was this season, and then the COVID pause happened, and now it looks like they're getting back to that level. So, um you know, we all kind of thought this. Illinois emerged late in the season, I think, as the new second team. But Baylor has certainly been on that level. And, you know, selfishly, man, for our city, I just hope everything goes off without a glitch of this next, what are we, we're less than a week. Yeah, because the national title game be Monday night. So mm-hmm. I just hope Oregon State's play-by-play guys are right. Did you hear about that? No. He was walking uh, downtown um, by the canal and was attacked. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. We yeah. don't need that. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, geez, that's awful. What, what, what anymore? I mean, obviously, super it. late at night. Yeah, I, it was night. after their win to get to the Elite Eight. Oh, okay. So I feel like we would have heard if it was really bad. Yeah, I don't know how bad it was, but I just saw the story on Monday, I think, yesterday. Yeah. Um, at the time of recording Tuesday, but right. Uh, I think I saw that he got attacked over the weekend. I was like, oh, jeez. Oh, I was like, not a great message to send, didn't he? Come on. No, come on now. Come on now. Well, hopefully. Um, Besides that, things will go off without a hitch over the next week or so. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Appreciate you all tuning in to this edition of Kevin's Corner. We'll be back next week with another pod. Later.